Welcome, and thanks for joining us at the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. In this series, we discover that God has provided everything we need for life and godliness. Based in 2 Peter 1, we will explore God's invitation to participate in His divine nature in ways that we can cultivate a fullness of life. Here's today's message. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Good morning. Thank you so much, Kristen and worship team. I want to add my welcome to you this morning to Central Baptist Church. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Phil Horton. I'd love to have the chance to meet you. Uh, so I'd love it if you'd look me up and uh, send me an email or something like that. Uh, we're very glad that you've joined us today, and thank you for joining us online as well. I'd like to begin our uh, time this morning with a memory test. This is for those of you who were here last week or over the last few weeks, because this verse is a verse that we've been, uh, been reading together. What word is missing? I didn't hear that. Knowledge. Knowledge. Well, it may be counterintuitive, but the missing word is the topic for today. As has been our custom, uh, because what we want you to do is to really, uh, really receive these words from Peter into your life and into your heart, into your mind, and so we're, we're saying them together each week. So let me invite you just to read this verse that's on the screen, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. We say together, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The Apostle Peter is going to continue what he began last week in verse 5. We're going to get there in a second. But he began in in, in verse 5 of our text to turn a corner 
to talk about our own effort. And he's going to say, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Last week, we looked at goodness. But then he goes on to say, and to goodness, knowledge. Okay, true confession here. I'm not a huge believer in alliteration. That is, the practice of making all of the points of your sermon begin with the same letter. This week, however, as I was thinking about cultivating knowledge, um, some P's came to mind. So here we go. We're going to go with four, four P's. Okay, they won't be on the screen right now, so listen carefully. This is what we're going to do to try to tackle this huge and vast topic of knowledge. I want to talk about the place of knowledge, first of all. Then I want to talk about the purpose of knowledge. Then I want to talk about the pitfalls of knowledge. And then the pursuit of knowledge. All right, the place, the purpose, the pitfalls, and the pursuit of knowledge. Well, with that before us, it seems like we should pause and pray to begin. Shall we? Please join me in prayer. Gracious Father, we come once again into your holy presence. Thank you for reminding us through this song that we've just sung that we have been invited into this place that's called the holiest of all, in the presence of our three times holy God. We thank you, Lord, as we read through the story of Scripture that we're here only because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He is the one who opened the way for restored relationship with you, almighty God, creator of all things. And so as we come today, help us to be aware of this privilege that we have, a privilege only available to us through Jesus. And Lord, as we're in your presence, we want to intercede on behalf of our world. Our world is broken in so many ways, in so many places so much violence, so much pain. So we ask for your kind hand to be upon our world. Lord, one of the things that's happening right now is just a lot of fires. And in our country in particular, we have a, a host of people who have volunteered or are being paid, but still they're risking their lives to go out and fight fires. We're very aware that some have lost their lives in the last couple of weeks. And so we want to pray for these families, especially these families that are grieving. Would you be close to them? Would you shine the light of Jesus into their hearts, minds, bring comfort? For those of us perhaps in this room who have friends or family who are out there fighting fires, I pray for peace and I pray for safety for those who are fighting these fires now. Yeah, closer to home, Lord, we're very aware that this is a, an, a busy week here at Central Baptist Church as Urban Adventures uh, kicks off tomorrow. Thank you for the 70-plus children that have registered and are coming. I pray, Lord Jesus, for your hand to be upon this week, that you would uh, grant strength and courage to each of the volunteers and the teachers, and I pray that the light of Jesus would be very, very clear and evident uh, and would shine into the families of children who come. Lord, have your way in this outreach effort. 
And so today, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, would you open our hearts and our ears and help us to be ready to listen and to respond with worship and obedience. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, before we jump into our pea patch, as we could call it, uh, let me briefly remind you of our context today. Uh, The title of our teaching series for this summer is simply this, Everything We Need, Everything We Need. And it's rooted in the main idea of this verse that we just read, which is really the, the, the starting point of our text. Uh, and, and really this verse that we read together contains an astounding concept that we really need to keep coming back to and paying attention to. His divine power has given us everything we need to live fully, to live a godly, Christ-honoring, flourishing life. His divine, unlimited divine power has given us everything for that. I wonder, I wonder as you consider the, the status of your life today, what's going on in your life, the relationships you have, the work you're doing, the study that you're doing, I wonder what adjective you would honestly use today to describe your life. Could you use the word fruitful? Could you use the word flourishing? Well, whether or not that's true of your life or my life, what is so remarkable about these words from Peter is that Peter is telling us that it's God's desire for us that we would experience flourishing life, fruitful life. We would experience life in its fullness. A little while later in the passage, he uses these terms effectiveness and productive. God does not want your life or my life to be ineffective or unproductive, God desires for you and me to experience life in its fullness. Remember Jesus said, I came so they would have life and have it to the full, abundantly is the older word we used to use for that. We need to be careful as we go through the text to understand what that means and what that doesn't mean. All right, so this is lesson number four in this series of messages. In the first two lessons, if you were here, Pastor Scott uh, gave us an overview, first of all, of the structure of these verses, three to 11 of 2 Peter 1, and then he also, in the second message, he dove into verses three and four where we find these amazing promises of what God does for us, of the incredible promises, the incredible gift of faith that God gives to us that all we can do is simply receive it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We can only simply receive it. So let's call verses three and four of our text the the God part of the story, right? This is what God does. His divine power has given us everything that we need. Last week, as you remember, we turned the corner, came to verse five. We could call what starts in verse five as the our part of the story, right? This is God's part of the story. He's given us everything we need. Now the our part of the story begins with this language of make every effort. You have to be careful to understand how that fits. We suggested last week it's helpful to use the language of stewardship, right? We've received this gift. We didn't earn this gift. We don't do anything to earn this gift. We simply receive it, but having received it, Peter seems to be saying, now that you've received it, here's your part. Make every effort. 
to add to your faith. So we notice our part requires effort and attention. It's not attention to attain faith and salvation, but it's an effort to ensure that the faith that we received is transformative. Because I believe that the biblical gift of faith that God wants to give us is necessarily transformative. It will change our lives. So how do, how do we do that? How do we understand receiving this gift and making every effort? Last week, we came up with this agricultural picture of cultivating. And we talked about cultivating knowledge or cultivating goodness we talked about last week. And so in each one of these list of seven that's coming, we, we come to this idea of cultivating. What we want to do is cultivate goodness in our lives so that we, we cultivate goodness in the soil of our faith. And we're using that picture. And today, then, we come to this picture, the same picture, we want to cultivate knowledge. Here again, just so we hear it, the words of verse 5 are, 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 go like this. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and then secondly, to goodness, add knowledge. Well, what is knowledge? I don't want to take too much time because I think the basic concept of knowledge is not hard to grasp. We should note here that Peter's using a very common word in Greek for knowledge, this word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, uh, which, which we, from which we get the term Gnostic and Gnosticism and things like that. We can look up the definition of knowledge in a dictionary. The Merriam-Webster dictionary simply says, the fact or condition of knowing something with familiarity gained through experience or association, right? Knowledge, it's something that we know. So let's jump in and consider these four Ps of knowledge. First of all, the prominent place of knowledge. Look at that, we got two Ps in this one. The prominent place of knowledge. And here's what I would like to do. I would like to look at the prominent place of knowledge in the, in the largest possible context, first of all, and that's really the history of humanity, which is the story of the Bible. And then I would like us to look at it in a smaller context, and that is in this context of this letter of Second Peter, from which we're getting this text that we're studying this, this summer. All right? Story of the Bible, 2 Peter. Let's jump in, first of all, and look at the, 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 the prominent place of knowledge in the story of the Bible. Some, a couple of guys wrote a book some years ago about the Bible, and they called it The True Story of the Whole World. I really like the title of that book, and I really like the book. It's worth reading. So when we talk about the story of the Bible, we really are talking about the story of human history in the world. It's a big story. We have a short time. So let me tell you what I would like to do. I'd like to just dip very quickly into the beginning of the story of the Bible, then I'd like to dip a little bit into the middle of the story of the Bible, and then I'd like to take one look at the end of the story of the Bible and see the role of knowledge in those three places. All right? So let's go to the beginning of the story. In Genesis chapter two, we have an account of creation. Uh, Genesis one and two are kind of two accounts of the creation of everything. Uh, this is chapter 2, verse 15, so we're breaking in partway through the story. God has, in chapter 2, the story goes that God forms man out of the dust of the earth and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and man becomes a living being. So now God is talking to the man and look what he says to him in verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, 
Then look carefully at what God says to him. Then the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of what? The tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. As we read these words in the context of the whole creation account, it's clear that God's intent in creating humans in the world was so that they could know him. All right, now let's think about that knowledge of God. God created us in his image, that's the language of Genesis chapter one. A part of what it means to be made in the image of God is this capacity to know God. But let's think about what the nature of this knowledge is. This knowledge is not simply a a body of facts. It's not just information. When God created us in his image to know him, this is the knowledge of relationship. This is the knowledge of trust. This is the knowledge of, of love. This is the knowledge of receiving life from God and living in this garden and looking after this garden, being co-creators with God in this garden, but living in accordance with the way that he has given us the gift of life. Now, what's this knowledge of good and evil that this tree represents. Think of it in the terms of opposites. If we know God, if we love God, if we live in relationship with God, then we receive his life and we live it out. What does it mean to know evil? It's the same thing. It's not just knowledge. It's not just information. To know evil is to participate in it, right? And so the choice which we find as we read in the very next chapter of the Bible, of course, the choice that the humans made at the tempting of the great tempter, the certain, the serpent, the evil one, that choice was a choice to turn away from this knowledge of God which included love and respect and honoring and obeying and saying to God, I think you're holding out on us. We want to know evil for ourselves. Right? And so there's this rejection of the knowledge of God and all of that beauty that was entailed in that and a turning and taking the knowledge of good and evil for themselves. And we can read so very clearly that as soon as the humans did that, death entered. Right? When they entered in, that choice to experience evil for themselves, to know evil for themselves, was a choice to reject this knowledge of God and the choice brought evil at every level of human experience, and we, we, we experience the results of that even today. Okay, so much more could be said about that. I just wanna pay attention to that choice. Now come with me to the very middle section of the story of the Bible, and here, of course, we find Jesus, who is the main story of rescue, because there from Genesis chapter three, when humans choose evil over God, the rest of the story of the Bible is really a story of rescue and restoration, of God setting in motion the plan to make a way of restoration, human restoration of relationship with the God who made them. And the main character of that restoration, of course, is Jesus, right? So we come to this main character of Jesus in the center of the Bible, Jesus who is God become human. Jesus who really lives as the true human, right? He didn't make the choice that we did in the garden. 
he stayed true to his father and becomes the only true human who's ever lived on the face of the earth. But Jesus comes, and I I just want to pay attention to one verse in a conversation that Jesus had with his father just before he went to the cross to offer himself as the sacrifice that would restore, make possible this restoration of relationship with God. Listen carefully to what Jesus says to his father. This is John chapter 17 and verse three. This is just before he goes to the cross. Look at what he says. Now this, Jesus talking to his father, this is what? This is eternal life that they what? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, right? The humans turned away from knowing God experientially, and they turned to know evil experientially, and it brought death, separation from the good God who made them. And now here's Jesus saying, this is eternal life, that they may know, that they may know you, right? This sense of the, the, the knowledge of experience, the knowledge of love and trust and obedience. But it comes through Jesus Christ and what he came to do, all right? That's the middle part of the Bible, okay? We're, 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 we're speeding through. We're gonna jump to the end of the story of the Bible. We're not actually gonna go to the books that are at the end of the Bible, but I would like to put Uh, a quote from a couple of Old Testament prophets to whom I believe God gave a picture of what would happen at a time that the New Testament talks about as the new time when Jesus returns, the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to this description of what that will be like. We first of all go to Isaiah chapter 11 verse nine and it says this, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Just think about that for a moment. Isn't that beautiful? Don't we long for a day on this earth when there'll be no harm or destruction? They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with what? With the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What an amazing picture of what's coming. Habakkuk, who writes a short book after Isaiah, says something almost exactly the same, Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, so much more could be said, but let me simply summarize by saying that the whole story of the Bible is a story of God as not only the all-knowing one who is the source of all knowledge, but it's also a story of a God who reveals himself to be known to the humans that he made in his image. God longs to be known by you and by me. And so the story of the Bible is very much about knowing God and as we know know him in this sense of relationship with him, we come to find eternal life. Well, that's a very brief summary of the story of the Bible. Let's I just want to be even more brief by looking at the letter of Second Peter in which our, our verses are located. Remember we said last week that Peter's an old man as he's writing this. Peter is a, this, these are kind of like his last words and testament. These are the urgent words he wants to pass along to us before he dies. But let's, so let's look at the role of knowledge by looking at the very opening words and the very end words of the book. Here's verses one and two, Second Peter chapter one. 
Peter begins his little letter saying this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God and Savior, our, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. And then he says this, verse two, grace and peace be yours in abundance through what? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Knowledge becomes a theme for Peter. Let's go to his very ending words of the book, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. This is how he's closing this short letter. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall away from your secure position, but instead grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Just while we see these verses on the screen, I want to make an observation here what Peter is doing. He's taken this whole idea of the important role of knowledge, specifically about knowing God in the whole of Scripture, and he's condensing it, intensifying it in this little letter. But notice, especially in these two final verses, he's saying that this growing in grace and knowledge can be a defense against false teaching, a defense against false teachers. And notice the specific description here, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless. Do you remember the story of creation? I believe we can legitimately draw a line from Peter's warning here all the way back to the serpent, that master deceiver in the garden. Peter is saying to his friends and to us, don't fall into the same trap as those first humans did in Genesis chapter three, when they turned away from trusting and knowing and trusting in the goodness and the kindness of God and deciding to reach out and know evil apart from God. And so the key and first line of defense is to grow in grace, Peter says, and knowledge, knowledge of Jesus. And so, here we are in verse five of our text and Peter is saying to us with this very same, all of this behind it, he's saying for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Okay, let's pause for a moment here. By now, perhaps some questions are arising. What kind of knowledge should we be pursuing? Is it only in strictly knowledge about what God is like? Or maybe another question would be, is Bible college or seminary the only place that we should go to discover knowledge? Well, I think as we turn our attention to the final three Ps of our sermon, I hope we'll discover something very different than that. Let's talk about the purpose of knowledge. Purpose of knowledge, wisdom literature in the Bible has much to say about knowledge and about wisdom. Let me just put this verse on the screen, Proverbs 9, verse 10. Look carefully at what the the preacher says here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And notice the second phrase, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Please notice from the second phrase in this couplet, there's a relationship between knowledge and understanding. We could say that knowledge leads to understanding, or we could say that the purpose of knowledge is to grow in understanding. This, of course, is intuitive. It makes sense to us. If I study auto mechanics, for example, I grow in my understanding about how to fix cars when they break down. 
If I study medicine, I grow in my understanding about how the human body functions and how it can be treated when it malfunctions. If I study computer science, I grow in my understanding of how to fix computers when they break. But please notice in this verse, in Proverbs, there's an underlying assumption which is fundamental to the Christian worldview and to the whole story of the Bible. The assumption is this, that God is the creator and sustainer of everything that exists. When Jesus is described in John chapter one, it says, through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus, God, is the source of everything that's been made. Therefore, God is ultimately the source of all knowledge and the starting point of all wisdom and understanding in every area of science and life. Well, which leads me to my next P quickly, and that is the pitfalls of knowledge. I need to say that as I was preparing this message and as I was reading and trying to grapple with this idea of knowledge and trying to read and expand my own thinking, I get, had this overwhelming feeling that we're touching on a field of thought here that is massive and complex. And so I wanna be very careful in my statements here not to make any rash or oversimplified statements in such an important subject. But I do wanna make a statement, I wanna make an observation, and again, as I make this, I would invite your feedback, I'd love to chat more with you in person or by email. I wanna make this statement, I wanna suggest to you that knowledge doesn't live well alone. Knowledge doesn't live well alone. It needs a context. It needs companions. Let me try to explain what I mean by that. Let me suggest this as a threefold context for knowledge. I don't want to suggest this is a comprehensive context for knowledge, but here's three things that came to mind from my observation in my reading a threefold context for knowledge. First of all, knowledge needs to have this context of God as its source. God is the source of all knowledge. And secondly, knowledge needs a couple of important companions. One is humility and the other is love. Let's look at each briefly. First of all, God is the source. Let me say this, I believe, I believe that knowledge flourishes most fully when God is acknowledged as, as its source. But let me be very careful to say what I'm not saying, all right? Please be careful to hear what I am not saying, all right? When, I'm say, when I say knowledge flourishes most fully when God is acknowledged as its source, I'm not saying that followers of Jesus have a corner on the market on knowledge. I'm not saying that only followers of Jesus have access to knowledge. A number, quite a number of years ago, someone wrote a book with the title, All Truth is God's Truth. And if we believe that God is the creator of everything that exists, I think we can say that that's true. We also know that all humans were made in the image of God. So I wanna suggest that any person, regardless of faith or not, who studies a field of science with authenticity and who observes and records and presents their findings with integrity is discovering truth about the world which God has made, regardless of their faith. 
and we all can and we all should learn from what those people are observing in those areas of observation of life and science and the earth and the world. The danger, of course, lies when sometimes an anti-God presupposition may cause someone to misrepresent what they actually observe through careful scientific process. All I really want to say in this first point here is that I believe that knowledge has the opportunity to flourish most fully when God is acknowledged for who he really is. Well, knowledge needs the companion of humility. Why? Because, quite frankly, our human ability to comprehend is limited. We are finite. But we are invited to know the living God who is infinite, and so our knowledge will always be growing. And so we need to remember that our knowledge is finite, and we need to be careful to have humility. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast in their wisdom or the strong boast in their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But then he goes on in verse 24 and let me put verse 24 on the screen because it's amazing. Let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight. What a beautiful verse, right? Beautiful picture of God. So we need to be careful always to know that humility accompanies our knowledge as it grows. Humility also needs love as a companion. Writing to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul makes this statement, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Right? Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And then in the great love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. Knowledge desperately needs love. Knowledge desperately needs these companions. And that's why I believe in the text that we're studying today, knowledge holds position number two. Add to your faith goodness. And then add knowledge. It's important, but it needs to find its proper place. Well, let's round off our thoughts this morning with some practical ideas about the pursuit of knowledge. How should we pursue knowledge? Last week we suggested we should cultivate goodness in the soil of faith. We can't become good by simply trying, to be, trying harder to be good. We need a renewed vision of the goodness of God that's found in the gospel, that's found in Jesus. And we need to allow that goodness to grow out of our worship of him. And so let me suggest similar, similarly this week when it comes to knowledge, Peter's not simply calling us to get smarter. He's calling us to add to our faith knowledge. Let me make two suggestions. First suggestion I want to make is to prioritize knowing Jesus. Prioritize knowing Jesus because knowledge by itself will not give us eternal life. That's the story of the Bible, right? The story of the Bible is we can only receive eternal life as a gift by believing and receiving, looking to Jesus for what he did for us 
and receive it as a gift. But having received it, we're called to cultivate this knowledge in our lives. The Apostle Paul was a highly educated and a highly accomplished individual. He was a very religious individual. But listen carefully to some words for Philippians 3 as he describes the priority of knowing Jesus. He begins chapter 3 of Philippians kind of defending some of his pedigree, how he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was highly educated. Verse 7, he says, but whatever gains, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss of, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then he says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Last week we spoke about intentional worship and intentional meditation as we take our time to look at scripture, then goodness can grow, right? That's what we said last week. I wanna say the same thing this week. Our knowledge will grow. I believe, as we pay attention to Jesus, we need to prioritize knowing Jesus. But then, but then, having prioritized knowing Jesus, I believe scriptures call us, secondly, to be curious and pursue knowledge in all kinds of areas of skill and interest that you might have. To explore the good world that he has made and put us into. John Sheppey was a man who was my friend and my mentor, especially in my early years of preaching and teaching. Some of you knew him here. He passed away about a year and a half ago. John taught at the education faculty at, U at UVic. He was a teacher of teachers. But the thing that stands out to me the most as I visited him in the final days of his life was this. The thing he was lamenting, the thing that John was lamenting was the fact that he no longer had the energy to pursue the things that he was curious about. John had developed a curious mind. He wanted to ask questions. He wanted to discover. He wanted to explore. I'm encouraged by that. And I think we should be encouraging each other to be curious about lots of things in this good world that God has put us into. We live in a world that is the handiwork of God. Whether it's birds or rocks or stars or galaxies or electrons or atoms, we ought to be curious. We ought to explore, pursue knowledge in these areas. We also ought to pursue proficiency in our field of skill. I believe we should be good at the things that God has given us the skill to do. We can read through the Old Testament, I won't take the time to do it right now, but if you read the, the story of how they built the tabernacle and later how they built the temple, we see the story of how God gave gifts and skills to artisans and artists and stone workers and masons and painters and gold workers and silver workers. And God equipped a man by the name of Bezalel 
It says, I filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze. God has gifted each one of you in some way. And I believe a part of pursuing knowledge is this idea of becoming proficient at what God has given us to do. You know, I'm so grateful for the people of this congregation. I want to thank each one of you for the ways you are blessing us through using your knowledge and gifts and skills in our community, whether it's through music or through tech or through leadership or through kids' ministry or through youth ministry or through food ministry. I like that one. No matter what our area of interest and skill, I pray that we may hear the words of Peter today. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. 